You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, listeners. I hope you haven't forgot about me during this hiatus. And I wanted to remind you that if you go to patreon.com slash historical blindness, you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and get access to my patron feed, which is always ad-free and also includes fully produced mini blindside episodes. During my regular seasons, I try to get out one of these bonus patron episodes every month. But during the hiatus, I'm trying to put out at least two. For example, today I released an episode about Thanksgiving and the myths surrounding the first Thanksgiving. To give you a little taste of what my blindside minisodes are like, here's one I released as a companion to my episode on Holocaust denial. If you like it, head over to Patreon, pledge at any tier, and you can go through and listen to all of the blindsides you've missed in the last year. And that way your feed won't be dark during this postseason break. Otherwise, look for a Christmas special, hopefully in mid-December. Although now it looks like I'm having to move, which might put a damper on me producing that in time. We'll see. As always, thanks for listening. Hi, patrons. As a companion to my episode on Holocaust denial, I wanted to talk more about denialism, which of course would mean discussing some of its principal aspects, pseudoscience and conspiracy theory. The problem is there are so many denialist claims to dig into, and not all of them are grounded in a compelling historical narrative. I could talk about the pseudoscience of creationists in opposition to Darwinism, and while there would be a strong story to tell about religious opposition to evolutionary science, I didn't feel that really captured the spirit of denialism as a phenomenon today. While denial of climate change would better characterize it, and is arguably of more immediate importance, I couldn't figure out a compelling historical narrative through which to frame it. The science denial of anti-vaxxers might lend itself to an interesting historical overview, since there has been resistance to vaccination ever since the 18th century ban on inoculations in Paris, with anti-vaccination leagues active throughout the 19th century, long before the claim of a link to autism that drives the movement today. But rather than another overview of facts that, while they may be little known to the lay public, are well-known history, I wanted to do something a little different in this blind side, which I call Alfred Russell Wallace, man of science, man of pseudoscience. I want to do a brief character study that will not only illustrate the fact that many of the topics denialists argue over today have been resisted for many years, but also that respected scientists themselves are not always immune to pseudoscientific ideas. Alfred Russell Wallace was a Welsh teacher and naturalist who in 1848, in his mid-twenties, went on the adventure of a lifetime, traveling to the Amazon to collect specimens and investigate the origin of species. Over the course of four years, he collected thousands of beetles, butterflies, and birds. But on his return journey, he lost everything 
when his ship caught fire and sank. One might expect a young explorer to give up after losing his life's work. But Wallace persevered, planning a new expedition to the Malay Archipelago, where for eight years he collected more than 100,000 specimens and discovered more than 5,000 new species. Moreover, he was the first to observe a difference among the species that led to a scientific demarcation east of Borneo, indicating the farthest island that Asian animal species extend, after which the animal species become more distinctly Australian. This demarcation was named the Wallace Line. One day, while suffering from a fever in what is today Indonesia, Wallace had a eureka moment, formulating independently the theory of evolution by natural selection, a theory he immediately wrote about in a letter to Charles Darwin. Astonishingly, Darwin had been formulating the same theory for decades, but had not yet published his ideas. Both Wallace and Darwin presented their similar theories at a Linnaean Society meeting. But with the publication the following year of The Origin of Species, Darwin far overshadowed Wallace as the originator of evolutionary theory. Nevertheless, Alfred Russell Wallace will forever be remembered as the contemporary of Darwin, who also deciphered the complicated mechanism by which, through adaptation, survival, and reproduction, organisms pass on their traits and gradually drive the evolutionary process. A well-established theory, borne out in all scientific study and held as consensus fact among the scholarly, the educated, and the reasonable, yet still doubted by some who feel it threatens their religious beliefs. Wallace would, later in his career, further establish himself as a champion of logic and science in his opposition to an early denialist claim, one that absurdly has resurfaced today and spreads pseudoscientific claims on the internet. As I discussed in last year's episode on Christopher Columbus, the question of the shape of the Earth has actually been a settled matter since antiquity, but unbelievably, especially considering the fact that simple observations anyone can make on a daily basis easily disprove it, we today find flat-earth theorists spreading anti-scientific notions of the planet's flatness and conspiracy theories to explain why scientists everywhere disagree. While the roundness of our world is a proven and known fact, and while it is a myth that it wasn't popularly believed until the time of Magellan or Columbus, doubters and denialists are not a new phenomenon. In the past, they have been dubbed quote-unquote paradoxers, and it has long been held a self-evident truth that no matter what evidence one puts before them, they will not be convinced. In Britain in the 19th century, as with those who would resist Wallace and Darwin's theory of natural selection, and as with flat earthers today, the deniers refused to believe because they felt it threatened their religion. One biblical literalist, Samuel Burley Robotham, who called himself Parallax, insisted the earth was a flat disk, supporting his contention, just as flat earthers today do, 
with references to scripture and with ill-conceived experiments and dubious math. Robotham's lectures inspired a man named William Carpenter to write a book, which would go on to inspire a man named John Hampton to publish pamphlets. And here we see a model of pseudoscience being widely disseminated in the age of steam-powered printing presses, long before the internet. Hampton, whose father had left him independently wealthy and with too much time on his hands, was such a zealot that, as Holocaust deniers have done, he publicly offered up 500 pounds to anyone who could prove the Earth was round. Alfred Russell Wallace accepted this challenge and proceeded to prove the curvature of the Earth by means of setting up markers at equal heights but at great distances from each other along a canal, which through a telescope could be seen to not line up owing to the convexity of the water's surface. Despite this conclusive proof, Hampton refused to accept the experiment's results, demanded his wager be returned, and embarked on a letter-writing campaign against Wallace that concluded in libel and death threats that landed Hampton in prison. Alfred Russell Wallace, in addressing the claims of denialists almost 150 years ago, discovered what we know well today. There is often no appealing to sense with these people. If this character study were to end there, Wallace would be a paragon of scientific legitimacy, standing against an onslaught of purposeful ignorance. But there is an ironic further aspect to his life and career one in which he was taken in by pseudoscience and metaphysics and even became himself something of a science denier of the anti-vaccination variety. Wallace's susceptibility to pseudoscience can be clearly discerned in his early interest in phrenology, the supposed science of evaluating someone's character and psychology by examining the nature of the bumps on their heads. He also dabbled in mesmerism, which was more than just hypnosis, and relied on numerous pseudoscientific ideas about invisible fluid in the body that could be manipulated by means of the quote-unquote animal magnetism of its practitioners. Mesmerism was something of a theatrical art in the first half of the 19th century as was the other field of metaphysics with which Alfred Russell Wallace became preoccupied, spiritualism. Wallace was not the only man of science to become fascinated by the performances of mediums at seances in those years, as it was a veritable sensation sweeping the world. But in order to illustrate the lengths to which Wallace would contort his faculties of reason in order to continue in his belief of the powers of mediums, consider his reaction to the challenge of Harry Houdini and John Neville Maskelyne. Maskelyne was a magician who, like Houdini, had dedicated himself to proving the frauds of mediums by reproducing their feats and thus proving them to be tricks or illusions. Rather than accept that these illusionists had conclusively proven mediumship to be fraudulent, Wallace instead resorted to conspiracy theory, suspecting that Houdini and Maskelyne 
were actually secretly mediums themselves and thus possessed of the supernatural abilities they claimed were not real. In the 1880s, during the height of anti-vaccinationist resistance to England's compulsory vaccination laws, Wallace was recruited to the anti-vaxxer camp by a spiritualist friend. Just as his flat-earther nemesis John Hampton had been converted to flat-eartherism by some dubious propaganda, so Wallace was won over to anti-vaccinationism by some anti-vaxxer books he read. Unlike some other adherents, though, he approached the issue very intellectually. But still, his argument, like those of many denialists, relied on denying the conclusions of the scientific community at large and casting doubt on particular data without acknowledging the larger picture that all the data suggested. So, for example, the fact that mortality from smallpox had declined commensurately with the use of smallpox vaccines, he pointed out, could not be relied on as proof that the vaccines were causing the decline. Indeed, as with any statistical data, with enough massaging and repackaging, it could look like it supported either side of the argument. Instead, he suggested that any improvement in mortality rates could be attributed to changes in sanitation and nutrition among the classes of people most at risk of contracting and dying from diseases like smallpox, diphtheria, measles, etc., and not due to any vaccination, which he argued didn't work and were putting people at risk of infection. In his works, Vaccination Proved Useless and Dangerous and Vaccination a Delusion, Its Penal Enforcement a Crime. It is perhaps unfair to present this part of Wallace's career as an example of anti-science or denialism, as the boundaries between scientific skepticism and denialism were not so clearly understood back then. And in fact, the kind of statistical analysis Wallace was using to draw his conclusions were really the only tools available to him at the time. What this story does show us is that these controversies cannot always be dismissed as ridiculous that perhaps today's denialists, not all of whom are closed-minded ideologues, may sometimes have reached their conclusions through an earnest analysis of the evidence presented to them. Therefore, perhaps they should not be despised, but disputed. Not reviled, but refuted. For if they were converted by some unsound argument, there is always the chance they can be rehabilitated by a stronger one. I hope you liked this Blindside episode, patrons. And I hope you've put in your RSS link to access your ad-free patron feed on your usual podcast app. Some, like Spotify, don't let you set up a feed, but most do. There are all kinds of free apps for any kind of phone. Overcast is good for iPhones, and I like Podcast Addict on Android. They will let you paste in your RSS link to set up your ad-free patron feed. You have to go to the desktop version of the Patreon site to see your RSS link and copy it. 
so make sure you're setting this up and getting these blind spots. I'd love these to just show up in your apps so that you aren't having to open the Patreon app to see if I have a new bonus available. If you're listening to these many episodes, reach out. Let me know what you think. The more patrons I get, the closer I'll be to putting out more than one of these a month. If I could, I'd love to do this show full-time for you. I appreciate all of you. Until next time, if the proof is in the pudding, swallow it. <laughs>